Soul Recovery is not just this podcast. It is a community. And each month on the first Monday, we get together on Zoom to support each other. I give a topic, then we break into small groups. It's a powerful way to be seen and witnessed and heard and supported through your own soul recovery journey. This is free to attend and open to everyone. Go to the website to register. The next one is May 6th from 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Also, in June on the 8th and 9th is an in-person soul recovery retreat in Lafayette, Colorado. This is going to be a weekend of incredible transformation, learning how to use soul recovery in your life and to leave that weekend transformed. Visit the website for more about what to expect and how to register. Enjoy the episode. In this episode, I'm reflecting on raising kids, both the raising kids as my experience of being an alcoholic and the complexities around my kids finding their addiction in middle school, and then moving forward into their now being young adult men. And it's really was a response to a listener who said, how do you let go of your adult grown kids? How do you let them have difficult experiences? How can we do soul recovery when we know that they're struggling? And this was what came out of the response to that. Letting your children have their own experience isn't easy. And especially when we're used to being codependent, when we're used to being problem solvers, peacemakers, fixers. And my journey with my children is about learning how to let my adult grown sons go, how to let them have their own experience and be involved in their life in a new and healthy way. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Recover Your Soul podcast, a spiritual path to a happy and healthy life. My name is Reverend Rachel Harrison. I started Recover Your Soul after having profound changes in my life from my recovery of alcoholism, codependency, and control addiction. I was guided to share the tools and principles of spirituality and soul recovery to help others transform their lives as mine was transformed. For us to overcome external circumstances, we need to turn the attention to ourselves, focusing on our inner change and healing. Positive results in our lives will follow. Welcome to Recover Your Soul. I'm Reverend Rachel Harrison, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to spend your time with me today. It means so much to me that you have picked this podcast to listen to. And if you're coming back again, I can't tell you how much it means to me that this soul recovery community is growing and we're all coming together and working on how to let go of control, how to expand ourselves and let go of the need for other people in our lives to be a certain way for us to have healthy, happy lives through spirituality. Thank you very much for choosing to be a soul recovery community member. In today's episode, I wanted to come to a question that I received in a private message from one of the community members, and they resonated with the podcast because they also have adult children who they're learning how to let go of and how to accept the lives that they have, and mostly how to be okay when they're not okay. Not being okay when your children is hurting is our standard operating procedure. We tend to, as I've said in other podcasts, have the claim that we can only be as happy as our least happy child. And of course, that's the way that it is. Of course, that's how we feel. These are our children. 
And when they were little, all we wanted to do was to make sure that they were okay, to attend to their every need. And the truth is that most of us didn't come from families where we were given the tools, the guidance, the modeling that taught us how to not become codependent. Most of us were taught in ways that helped create patterns in families and created patterns in ourselves around how we were supposed to interact with the people in our lives. And a lot of us, I'm totally raising my hand on this one, learned how to be people pleasers, learned how to be helpers, learned how to be peacemakers. And we brought that to our kids and used that in our parenting to try to keep them from pain. And this, of course, is part of parenting. And of course, we don't want our children to have pain. I remember actually when I first read the book, Love and Logic, I believe it was written by Jim Fay. And it's been around since the 70s. But I read this book when my kids were, oh, probably coming into late elementary school, into middle school, maybe. And I remember reading this book and thinking, oh my God, I think it's already too late for me to apply these principles because we had already set up patterns and ways that we all communicated with each other that didn't use the love and logic principles, which are allow them to make choices for themselves and experience their own consequences. That the more that you allow them to see what they set up in the world, and then see if it's successful or not successful, the more that they grow and learn how to take responsibility for themselves. Well, I hadn't done that. I had this desire to be as nurturing and loving and giving as I could. And I wanted my kids to come out of our home feeling nothing but unconditional love. And because I was raised in a way that didn't need very much discipline, I assumed that no one needed discipline. And Rich came from a family that was very different, that had more chaos and turmoil in general with a divorce and and a lot of the pain that comes from that kind of divorce. My parents divorced, but not until I was older and and they never fought. So it was a different energy. But his memory is really that there was a lot of pain, a lot of hardship in the relationships in his family. And that discipline and towing the line was an important part of how his parents interacted with him. Well, I never had to be disciplined. You just told me what to do and I would do it. And on some level, it's wonderful that that was what I learned, but I also learned that that's how I got loved. So it's complicated. Being a human being is very complicated. And I also learned in my family that discipline meant that you were in trouble and being in trouble was terrifying. So I was coming at how we raise the kids from my own perspective of my younger self's pain. And he was coming from his perspective of his younger self's pain and experience as well. And the complexity of how we all come together and how we're reliving, repeating the patterns of our childhood is always an interesting journey. So when I look back on it, I think to myself, you know, the truth is 
as much as we were loved by our parents on both sides of us, and how lucky are we that we were wanted and loved, that we didn't have the modeling of the life that we were setting up for our kids. We were just winging it. And so by the time I got to the Love and Logic book, I was already in this backspin of how do you let your kids have their own consequences? And more than that, for myself, how do I let myself be uncomfortable in their being uncomfortable? I don't like my kids to be uncomfortable. I've never liked it when they're uncomfortable. As I've said in other episodes, I wore it like a badge of honor the first time I ever heard the saying that I was only as happy as my least happy child. And and I claimed that, that I could only be as happy as they were unhappy. So it was my personal job, if I wanted to be happy, to make sure that they were happy. Well, ultimately, that didn't work out because we can't make anybody happy, regardless of whether they're a four-year-old, a 15-year-old, or a 24-year-old. Our emotions, our experience, even for children on a younger level, is that human being's own expression of the world. Now, we can set things up for them that give them the most potential for success, We can make sure that they have the needs met, that they have plenty of food and clothes and beautiful toys and things to do, and that they are given every opportunity to grow and expand. But you've seen kids who it just seems like they're grumpy. And then you've seen children who are just as cheerful as can be. We come in with some level of personality already, I think. I think we come in with some level of, it's not really personality, it's it's what's underneath. I was just thinking of that Pixar movie that I'm not going to remember what it's called, but they had all the emotions inside of there. And then um, they were talking about how souls, am I thinking of the right one? Oh, no, it's the one where the jazz singer goes up into heaven or whatever it is that he goes into and the little souls are coming down and some of them are grumpy and some of them are cheerful. Do you remember that? I just think, yeah, some of them come in grumpy and some of them come in cheerful. And here we are as parents and we want to keep our children from experiencing any level of hardship. I know that we think that children are kind and beautiful and wonderful But if we're honest, kids are really hard on each other from a very early age, that there's this competition, that there's this keeping the others out, that they say things that are just on their mind. They don't have the filters yet to be able to wonder if that's a nice thing to say or a not nice thing to say. They just say what they think. And It's not easy being a kid, and even more so now, if that's what's happening in your life, that you have younger children, very complicated in the way that things are going. So just setting up this part of us that can give ourselves grace around how we raised our children and how we got into the place in the first way of being codependent, of 
working really hard to keep them out of any suffering, out of any pain. I remember when I was reading the book Love and Logic, and it said, if your kid forgets their lunch, don't take them their lunch. And that concept was completely foreign to me, to not remind them to bring their homework and to not pester them in the morning about if they're getting up for school on time. It told a whole story about how this child woke up on his own and was responsible to get to the bus by himself. Well, that was completely foreign in our house. It was absolutely my job to make sure that everybody had what they needed. And, and are you ready? Are you going? Are you ready? Are you going? And in the story in the book, he says that his son missed the bus one day and came back into the house and didn't even ask for a ride. He just said, oh, I missed the bus. I guess I'm going to have to walk. And I remember reading that and thinking, that's totally nothing I've ever even thought of. And it opened my eyes to what now is moving in my life around seeing boundaries that are healthy, seeing how to support people in healthy ways, allowing people to have their experience. And as an elementary school student, that's not an appropriate, probably an appropriate way to have a kid have to have their consequence. But I believe that this kid that he was talking about was in high school. And and it is appropriate for a high schooler to, if they've got a bus and they didn't make it, to have to figure out what are the other options, which might also include asking for a ride but not demanding a ride. So way back then, I started having this opening to these new ideas around not being so dependent with my kids, so codependent with my kids. And I think that it, even though I wasn't at a place where I could totally switch us around to this new concept, it did begin to open up avenues for me to think differently about how I was interacting with them. Okay, fast forward a little bit. Really, things got complicated in our lives with our kids. They both started smoking pot and having some addiction issues in middle school for each of them. They both have ADHD And my son, Alex, my oldest one, has anxiety and depression. You know, if you've listened to the podcast before, that we should use caution in these labels that we have as a claiming of the reason why somebody isn't well and claiming them as sick. Soul recovery believes in wholeness. But I also do think that these are descriptors of our brains and of how our situations are. I completely think that it's okay to take medication if you are having issues where you need medication. I have taken depression medication on and off my entire adult life and in um, starting in college. I haven't been on medication since I started soul recovery five years ago. I am clean and clear of anxiety and depression that I used to be completely riddled with in the past. But I don't want to claim that you shouldn't say that those things don't exist. What I'm what I'm saying is that I have awareness that those were my son's issues, but I'm not going to attach to them so that I see him as a broken human being. I want to see him and feel him as whole. But when he was younger, It was really difficult for our family to not be 
deeply affected by his level of unhappiness and his level of discomfort. And when I took him to therapy for the first time, when he was maybe late elementary school, maybe it was early junior high, and he went to play therapy with this counselor. And it was the first time that I'd heard of the Enneagram. And you've heard me maybe talk about the Enneagram before. In the Enneagram, there's nine personality styles. And one of the things about Alex is he had this massive separation anxiety that I'd been a preschool teacher. I'd owned a preschool. I'd never seen a child who didn't stop crying and have a fabulous day. My kid never had the fabulous day. It turned out that he was the one exception who was completely traumatized by the fact that he got sent to preschool and or day camp or whatever the situations were. And I didn't really understand why that was happening to him because that had never been my experience as a teacher, as a preschool teacher. When we went to this counselor and she was doing therapy with him and she was talking about the Enneagram, I hadn't even really had the concept of these different personality styles before. I mean, I know we're all different, right? We're always learning and growing. This is the part of soul recovery that I love is you're opening to new concepts all the time. And each one of those concepts is like an aha moment where you go, ah, that answers the piece that I thought was missing. That puts the puzzle piece in where it was missing right here. So the puzzle piece for us was that he is a questioner. Not that this totally explains why he had such huge separation anxiety, but he was always needing to know what all the potential outcomes were. And you just wanted to say to him like, dude, just relax and just, you know, it's going to be okay. But for him, it wasn't okay. For him, he needed to know what time are you going to be home? Where are you going to be? What's what's happening? Something in him needed to know what to expect and wanted to know the variety of the outcomes and and needed support around how his brain worked. And so once we started this style of looking at our different personality styles, we discovered he's a questioner. I discovered that I'm a peacemaker, which totally made sense. If the world's okay, if I can make everyone else okay, then I can actually relax. And it turned out that Rich and Bodhi were adventurers, that they thrive in the unknown and adventure. Totally makes sense. Once we could see each of our personality styles in the family, it really helped to stop trying to make us all be the same flavor. It was like your strawberry, your chocolate, the two of you are cookies and cream, whatever, you know, whatever the story was. When they both found pot as their answer, their solution for how their brains worked, and we were already in this kind of swirl of codependence, we were already in a family style where Rich and I were alcoholics and we were super high functioning alcoholics, right? So we mostly just partied with our friends and had drinks in the evening. And it was not like there was violence or there was yelling or there was a whole bunch of tension all the time. But the alcohol kept us from being able to be completely present with our children. 
And it kept us from being able to monitor our emotions and not be reactive. And it kept us from being checked in. We were checked out. And then eventually we started bickering with each other. And as the children's emotions got more difficult, we were more reactive and didn't handle situations as well and were more likely to fly off the handle for something small than we would have been if we hadn't been in those situations. So I have a lot of regret and pain around the fact that I wasn't modeling the kind of parenting that I really wanted to do, that I was falling into my own despair around how hard it was, how complex it was. And the kids were moving into having more and more of their own wounding and their own patterns and their own belief systems being set up that were supporting addiction and supporting the part of addiction that can be complicated where it becomes something that fills a hole. By the time that we went through, and I'm not even going to go through all the difficulty that we had uh, with sending Alex to rehab and trying different schools and Bodhi was this incredible person on one level and then he would lie to your face and tell you exactly what you wanted to hear and do whatever the hell he wanted on the other level. And they're both moving into their lives of addiction, becoming how they handle who they are and how they handle their pain, just like Rich and I did, just like us, right? So it wasn't like we weren't all the same. And then there were moments and times as they got older that we bonded over partying together. And then there was times when I wanted to control it because I could see that it was out of hand. And then when I quit drinking five years ago and I started awakening and I started opening up to myself and seeing what I wanted for them as well, I got caught in the sticky situation that we can get caught into where we want everybody else to get on our train. If you're ready for soul recovery, as a spiritual coach, I can support your healing to help make real changes that will bring you a life of peace, happiness, connection, and abundance. You can also work in smaller groups by taking a deep dive in a Zoom workshop or with me in person at a retreat or an event. Join others on the Soul Recovery Path once a month for the free Zoom support group or daily on the private Facebook page. Visit the website recoveryoursoul.net to book coaching sessions with me or find all the information you need about soul recovery, dates that are coming up, and how to register for those groups and workshops. To support the podcast and the community, check the links in the show notes to make a small monthly donation or a one-time donation of your choice that will make a huge impact to support this community and the soul recovery mission. Together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. We want everybody else to see the light, to see how good this is, that there's a, a solution, there's a different way. And when both of my boys got DUIs at various times in their lives, I remember being so excited because I thought, this is it. You know, this is what's going to make the big change for them. Now, you know, if you've listened to the podcast recently, that 
they were on the podcast at Christmas time talking about their situation that they have about dancing this dance with addiction, where as a young person, it's really difficult to think I'm never going to drink again. I'm never going to do these things again. It was impossible for me to go into AA and think I'm never going to drink again. All I could say was, I don't want to drink right now. I don't want to live the life that I'm living right now. If I could have the life that I wanted and I could include drinking with it, I would. But that isn't possible for an addict. And the addiction, once it starts to run its course, completely runs you. It completely takes over who you are, completely takes over your life. And the slippery slope is whatever it is. And it's different for every single person. You know, there isn't a formula that says if you drink alcohol, you will definitely turn into this kind of an alcoholic or you'll definitely your life will definitely look like this. No, it's completely different. There are people who have stories around recovery that said that they got clean when they were in their mid 20s and they started drinking and it was only a year or two until they were completely completely gutter drunks, not able to keep a job, homeless, um, lying, stealing. That's intense. And that's their own journey. And there are other people like Rich and myself who were incredibly, oh God, so functioning to to a fault to where nobody really knew that this was really a problem on the outside. It was us on the inside that knew it was a problem to you know, everywhere in between. So with the kids, when they had those DUIs and I thought, oh, this is it, you know, they're going to, they're going to be able to figure this out early. I needed to start doing my own work in my own soul recovery to remind myself that I had my own journey. I was 48 years old before I quit drinking hundred percent. And it's really only the last five years of my life, I'm 53 years old right now, that I can tell you that my life has profoundly changed, that I have discovered about myself things that has blocked on top of the other blocks. It's been like building blocks of health as I reassemble my life from the building blocks that were around codependency and dysfunction and trying to control everything and not knowing who I was. And so as I rebuild myself, what it gives me is the strength to be able to allow them to have their own experiences and come back to the love and logic mentality that says, allow them to make their own choices and then experience the consequences of those choices or the success of those choices. That we learned that way. That if I overspend my money and I don't have any money left, that's on me. I learn how to deal with my finances because I had to go through hardship. And that we need to allow them to have those same consequences. And that I learned that drinking didn't work for me because it made my life unmanageable. And I was so miserable. The pain was so intense in my life that when that opening of grace came, 
into that moment that said, you can have more and you deserve to live and you deserve to be happy that I did whatever it took to make the steps to bring myself into recovery. So supporting kids, adult kids in particular, if you have younger kids, it's a whole other crazy journey of how to hold those boundaries and how to not let go so much that they make choices for themselves. They don't have the bandwidth yet to be able to manage themselves. But here's my kids at these ages of mid twenties. And I'm always on this line. I'm towing this line between being present with them, who they are and what's going on with them. If you listen to the episode from Christmas, they came here for Christmas. We let them smoke weed in the garage. They drank beers all day. And we ended up having a lovely time as a family because I wasn't micro-focused on their drinking and their smoking pot. What I was putting energy into was the time we were spending together. It wasn't It wasn't offensive to me because I chose to not see that. And they were just being themselves. They weren't out of control. They weren't drunk. They weren't disorderly. Again, if that's what's happening, there might need to be a boundary around that. And each family's totally individual. I'm not telling you how to do it. I'm telling you how this works for me, what my experience was. But the more that I could focus on our time together and just allowing them to have their own experience. We had a fabulous time. We did arts and crafts. We watched movies. We hung out. We talked. Their plane got delayed. We got a few more days. They did the podcast. You know, they had the ability to just come here and be themselves. Now, I didn't buy any of those things for them. I didn't participate in helping them get any of those things. I didn't remind them that they were almost out of beer, you know, like my olden days self that even in destructive behavior, I participated on some level around codependence. And oh my God, I can't believe it. I, you know, the things that I did in my unhealthiness around enabling, massive enabling. So then you look at watching them have this process where they're thinking about what's happening in their lives and they're able to come to me and talk to me about the parts that are hard that aren't working because I've let go of the judgment and I'm not shaming them for their experience so that they can come and say, wow, I really realize I've been overdoing it. You know, I've had conversations with them about um, hallucinogenics and what is that about for them? Or my big fear right now is fentanyl that um, you just never know what's in anything. And so I'm not afraid to say my concern really is there's fentanyl that are killing people and there's drugs and drugs that are killing people. And my fear is that you're going to get caught up in something that you don't realize is going to kill you. And I'm afraid of that. Now, to be completely honest, I have had to let go of the part of me that thinks that I can keep them from doing anything that might eventually harm them. This includes if they're in a depressive state with Alex in particular, 
there was a moment in time where he was really depressed. This was, this was in high school. And all he really needed to say was that he was depressed and I would run to try to fix it, to enable it, to try to keep him from that pain because I was afraid that he was going to kill himself. And there are moments now where as an adult, he'll have a low that's very low. He's not on medication. He doesn't want to be on medication. At least he doesn't up to now. Maybe someday he'll change his mind. And when he graduated high school and he went off into the world on his own and he wasn't living under my roof, I had a incredible freedom that came from me opening to spirit and saying, I trust that I can surrender my son into the hands of this higher power and that there is not anything that I can preventively do that will keep him from harming himself if that is what he decides. That's a huge thing to say. Now, that doesn't mean that if he calls me or if we're chatting and I can hear that something's off, that I don't try to show up for him in a way that is going to um, allow him to feel supported by me. If he, he called me in the middle of the night, two nights ago, three nights ago, and I still keep a home phone because I want them to be able to call me at any time, my mother as well, because we, our cell phones are kept in an entirely different place in the house, the configuration of our house. And so he called me a couple nights ago at four o'clock in the morning because he was having this incredible pain in his ear, this excruciating pain, and he didn't know what to do and he was scared. I'm going to be here for him for that. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to have conversations. I'm going to ask him questions. We're going to figure it out. I will absolutely be there for him. But even in that situation, which wasn't, you know, a suicidal life-threatening situation, ultimately my goal is to empower him to connect with himself and his own resources, his own wholeness, his own ability to soothe himself, to calm himself down, to realize, okay, I have an ear infection. I'm not going to die. I don't need to go to the emergency room for this because it wouldn't help. I can wait to call the doctor tomorrow and just be present for him and help him calm down, but not panic along with him. So supporting somebody doesn't mean that we enable them, but we can do it in ways that allows them to feel loved by us. But I'm not responsible for making sure that he gets his medication, that he takes his medication for any of those things. He's an adult. And can I go and have a nice day the next day? I'm working on it. I'm so much better than I would have been five years ago. And I have to tell you with this last ear infection thing that he's been going through, it's been brutal. He's been in both ears. He's got a, he's been really sick all the way around. And so it is hard for me to not have tenderness for him, but it doesn't feel like it's my job or responsibility to fix him. And he and I have had some profound conversations around the depth of despair that you can be in that you think in that moment that you want to 
end it all. And I don't have an answer for this that is outside of my own experience that just says, we have to be there for people in a way that is healthy for us. And we have to trust that where people are and their own journey and their own experience and their own ability to love themselves and to learn to love themselves is theirs to learn. And so I don't know what the final end in that is, except that the healthier we are, the more we can model healthier behaviors for them. The more that we can see their wholeness, the more that we can see the wholeness in our children, even if they are in a very dark place, the more that they have the potential of seeing it for themselves. And yet the only person who can really elicit change in their lives is them. And I've watched both of my kids thrive and they're humans and they struggle and it's hard and some days are great and some days are crappy, but I'm watching them move up the emotional ladder around the spiritual ladder, the ability to share their feelings the ability to take care of themselves. They're both self-supporting through their own contributions. We do minimal assistance to them because they know that there's minimal assistance to be had, that they are responsible for their own lives. And man, it's hard to watch them struggle. Painful, incredibly painful to watch them have a hard time. But when they call and we have these conversations around them having the human experience from the love and logic perspective, which is we learn from our own learning, we have to hit the wall, we have to have the experience, it can't be given to us, we don't learn because someone tells us something. And so then we're like, Oh, that's the way it is. That's not how it was for us. Never the way that it was for us, we had to figure it out for ourselves. So to take away their learning means it just has to learn it later in a different way. I know I went really long on this episode, but our kids are so precious to us. And if we can give ourselves grace around the complexities of parenting, the complexities of relationship, the complexities of loving others, And turn the attention to ourselves and our own soul recovery and let go of this burden of responsibility that we think that we need to do for them as adult children and begin to just love them as they are and allow their experience to be whatever it is and spend more time seeing their wholeness and concentrating on the things that you see that are working in your relationship with them, noticing and giving them praise for the things that they're doing well, and offering support that lifts them up instead of enables the behavior, then we are moving in the direction of health, slowly, steadily, slowly, steadily, slowly, steadily. And I'm so proud of both of my kids I'm so proud of them because they're learning how to be their own adults. And it doesn't mean that they're sober. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. It doesn't mean that they know how to spend their money. It doesn't mean that they have it all together. It doesn't mean that they don't have days where they make choices that aren't that great. 
What it means is that they are human beings who have a desire to learn and to grow and that we have a relationship that's honest with each other. And I'm not responsible for them. And they, in turn, actually are not responsible for my happiness. I'm responsible for my happiness. So I just send out so much love and support for all of us who have children and you're listening to this because you do at any age, young, grown up, super grown up. The relationships are complex. And many of you also are looking forward to being able to have relationships with your kids again, that maybe at this moment, you're not in relationship with your grown children. But the the common factor in this is that when we focus on our own healing, we let go of the responsibility of thinking that we can fix or change somebody else. It will make changes in those relationships and it will allow others to be able to see the growth that can happen. And we can model behaviors and ways of being that will be positive in those relationships and for them in the ways that they choose to see it. They get to choose how to see it. Thank you for sticking in for this longer episode. I thank you for being on the soul recovery journey with me. Until next time, namaste. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovery Soul Podcast and being part of this amazing and growing community. If you loved this episode and you want even more, there is a bonus episode with even more content every Friday. This is by subscription. You can access that by being a Patreon member and there's three tiers of giving of your choice or an Apple Podcast subscriber. Once you have subscribed, you have access to a whole back catalog of episodes as well. If you go to the website, recoveryoursoul.net, and I would love for you to subscribe to email updates so that you can keep posted with everything that's going on, different events, what dates are coming up, any reminders. There's only a couple emails each month. I hope you follow Recover Your Soul on social media. You can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, the private Facebook community page, TikTok. And if you want guided meditations, look for Reverend Rachel Harrison on Insight Timer. I really encourage you to take advantage of the one-on-one coaching. This is a unique, intuitive connection between the two of us. There are nine steps to soul recovery, and I do use those nine steps to loosely guide us through whatever your coaching that you need. But really, it's about creating a way for you to feel comfortable around your healing of your past, looking at the situations in your life. What are the patterns? What are the beliefs that are holding you back? Breaking free from those patterns, breaking free from those beliefs, letting go of control, letting go of the people around you, and taking your power back discovering who you are and who you want to be in the world and how I can support you to do this. And also you're sharing this podcast with your friends, putting five stars, leaving reviews, really sharing this with others is growing the community. Thank you for being part of this community. Thank you for supporting Recover Your Soul. And I know that together we can do the work that will recover your soul.
The Recover Your Soul podcast and its content is for educational purposes only and is not allied or representative of any organizations or religions. It's based on the opinions and experience of Reverend Rachel Harrison. Recover Your Soul claims no responsibility to any persons or entity for any liability, loss, damage, or cause alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of its use. Applications or interpretations of the information represented herein. Take what you need and leave the rest.